0: Welcome to our podcast. Good news, we are currently running a special promotion for new Hedgeye podcast listeners. Get your first month free to any one of our investing products for brand new Hedgeye subscribers. Email Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com to get yours. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com.
1: Hi, I'm Keith McCullough, and welcome back to another Real Conversation with one of my favorites, Dr. Pippa Malmgren, who's also the founder of the DRPM uh, Advisory Group. She's the founder of H-Robotics, which is pretty cool. She wrote a a great book in 2015, and I think I heard that you have another book coming out in the fall, Pippa, so uh, welcome, and I'm looking forward to that.
2: Thank you. Yes, I do. It's a book about leadership in the 21st century.
1: Oh, great. I mean, do we all have to lead with the Twitter handle or is it going to have something?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's, re- <laughs> it's really more about uh, how everything's changed. All the skills you used in the 20th century are very different from the ones you're going to need in the 21st. It's a bit of a wake-up call for today's leaders and an invitation for tomorrow's.
1: Which is pretty much right in line with how, I mean, almost everything you write, you're, you know, I call them phase transitions, and you're going to call them what you're going to call them. You might call them phase transitions as well. But big tectonic shifts, big change, you know, whether it be world order, whether it be the impact of social media. So I want to hit on on some of those, like, right up the middle. The first one on international world order, you know, so many people have so many... Uh, thoughts of trade wars, tweets, Trump, et cetera. Like, how would you characterize where we are today? Uh, you know, Chinese, Russian, maybe those two topics specifically.
2: Well, here's the bottom line, and, and I wrote about this in my book, Signals. There is a challenge to the post-war international economic order. The institutions like the World Bank, the IMF, the World Trade Organization, the rules of the game that they represent, and a lot of nations, China, Russia, but many nations are kind of thinking, is this still serving us? Mm-hmm. Are the rules really fair, even in balance? Are they resulting in the right outcome? So there's a huge challenge. And the question is, do we survive this period of challenging the rules of the game and the institutions? Obviously, when you have the president of the United States outright challenging all that. This is the real question. But inevitably, we'll end up with something. There's always some kind of construct. So the question is, what's it going to look like? And I think the Chinese take the view that whatever the American-led structures have been in the past, they're unlikely to accommodate their needs. So they're creating their own institutions like the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. Um, The Russians are trying to create their own institutions. For example, when um, we kicked them out of SWIFT, they said, fine, we'll just create our own payment uh, system that's separate. So we're now in a period where there's just a lot of competition for Mm -hmm. what are the rules of the game going to be. And people don't like that uncertainty. But on the other hand, these things are not guaranteed. They take time and effort and commitment to keep them stable and sound. And now we're in a time of testing and challenging them.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you you think, I mean, it's a hard answer, obviously, when I ask a question about volatility. But do you think that perpetuates short-term volatility in search of longer-term stability in terms of how they might think about it?
2: Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that also governments and policymakers, uh, they I think they don't really understand how business and the real economy participants respond to this. Mm-hmm. They yeah. both overestimate the impact and say, you know, any change to the trading system and its rules, its uh, mores will be so disruptive as destroy the world economy, which I don't think is true. It's amazing how quickly businesses adapt and they change. If their supply chain is threatened by a world change, they start looking elsewhere for that supply chain. And also, they tend to uh, underestimate the the agility of business to swing around. Anyway, I just think okay, it's a challenging time, it's difficult, but we've been through trade wars before and we've survived it and I suspect we'll survive this too.
1: Well, I mean, at the at the core of it, I mean, really, you're, it's a question of central planning versus what the private sector actually does, which is, Builds things, innovates, and seeks profits, I mean, at a bare minimum. And that, to me, when I watch, you know, it's, it's hard to watch, frankly. I mean, the macro-tourism of it all, if, if, if you want to call it that. People just jumping from headline to headline. Um, you know, Trump's obviously perpetuating that component of it to a degree. But all the while, you've got this U.S. business cycle that's just chugging along, actually at record pace, uh, eight consecutive quarters in a row of accelerating GDP growth, the biggest headline GDP number at 4.1 that we've seen in a long, long time. You know, it, it, isn't that the tapestry that's underneath it that's always been there, that you actually don't need these governments and institutions? I love that
2: term, macro-tourism. I'm going to take that. <laughs> I'll quote you on that. But yeah, you're right. And, and so getting caught up in all the short-term headlines, this is really for the voyeurs. The real yeah. players are out there building real companies that make real things or offer real software or real innovation. And I'm in that space in technology. I see extraordinary innovation going on and not by big companies all the time. We're, we also have maybe what I could call micro innovation, little tiny companies of four or five people that can totally disrupt an entire sector and eat the market share of massive companies. So, this is what needs investing in. This is what's giving you those amazing numbers in the U.S. economy, but also elsewhere in the world. And it's the bit that policymakers always underestimate because they just can't believe that a tiny little company with a handful of people can change the world. And yet, what was Apple? What was Facebook? You know, we're just going to get another wave of these extraordinary success stories.
1: Yeah, what, there's there's obviously a romanticism to that too. I mean, everybody's going to have a trillion dollar company now. Uh, coming and it's obviously there's a bazillion garages, they, all, they always start in garages. Uh, mine didn't start in a garage, I think it probably started in my bathroom or something. Uh, but at the, <laughs> end, at the end of the day, like this, 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 um, you know, it's new, therefore it should uh, take over the establishment. I, I often think about cryptocurrency in that regard. What, what are your thoughts on crypto? We've never talked about that.
2: Yeah, so it's real, it's not going away. Uh, Last time I looked, there were 1,170 or more cryptocurrencies. So this idea that it's only Bitcoin or it's only uh, Ethereum, this is not right. There are many, many players in that space. So the bottom line is, as a phenomena, it's real. It's not going away. Plus, governments are going to enter this space. Chinese are talking about issuing their own national fiat cryptocurrency. In other words, taking together electronic money, in conjunction with blockchain which is basically like a timestamp that uh indicates when and where every transaction took place uh this is where governments are going uh now whether every individual cryptocurrency that's alive now will be alive in future most of them will probably fall by the wayside at some point most of them will find themselves up against the wall of regulation but some of them will persist mm-hmm. and that's basically because the way the internet works it's creating its own money. It's creating its own mechanisms for transmitting money. And therefore, we have to adapt to this massive technological change. It's just not going to go away.
1: So now if you take the uh, technology of crypto and you bridge it with this ever-changing world that you talk about in the new world order, you know, how do you think about that in terms of how the Chinese might perpetuate a cryptocurrency or how the world might look like in the future state?
2: Well, I think, look, crypto is part of a a bigger issue, which is governments are figuring out they can use technology to manage the society. Now, some of them want to do this in ways that are potentially positive, and some there are questions about. The Chinese approach is to gather as much data as possible about every individual and use that to manage the society. Uh, It's kind of not so consistent with what we like in a democratic process, but that's the road they're on. So they like crypto because, and a national fiat version of it because in that way, they can literally track every single transaction that a citizen is engaged in. It kills the black economy. It makes everything totally transparent. We're doing it in the West as well, by the way. Um, Governments like electronic money in conjunction with blockchain because that gives total transparency over every transaction that's occurring in the economy to the point that I think at some point we won't even need to Uh, actually file your tax return, they'll just automatically deduct it at the point of transaction. So this is a very powerful event in the world economy, this shift into a new form of money, a brand new technology, which is money that's not only electronic, but it's tagged to you and your specific behaviors
1: hmm that's a, that's a great answer, and it's a unique one, actually. I mean, a lot of people, you know, just by nature of where crypto came from, and Bitcoin in particular, I mean, lots of libertarian thought, obviously a tremendous amount of anti-government thought, but uh, Neil Howe, who's our demographer, will often say, well, isn't it ironic that it's going to go back to the government who can only perpetuate it, make it trustworthy, et cetera? They're going to steal it from these libertarians uh by the way i'm a libertarian i sort of so i mean i don't take offense to that i just think it's ironic that very thoughtful people like yourself are actually coming to the same conclusion
2: yeah i love neil howe and his work uh yeah so what's interesting is all these people who thought they could escape government oversight (laughs) by you know in various ways they're like i'll buy tin cans and i'll live upstream and you know how hunt my own food and i'll have my own electronic currency and i'm like but you realize that any electronic item you use is tracking your use of it. And if now, every time the way you <laughs> tap and swipe on the phone is identifying you, what you don't think they know your Bitcoin password. I mean, really, at some point, the only person who isn't going to know your Bitcoin password is you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's the great travesty of the early Bitcoin uh, miners. They, 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 they actually lost, the, they lost their, their codes or their, their pass keys. Um, so that's, that's interesting. But it, let's just blow this up a little further. Like how do you think uh, Amazon, Google, Facebook, the, the whole social, social mediaing of it all, how do you think that that's going to, to, to change alongside this new payment processing platform and, 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 and uh, new world order that you, that you often talk about?
2: Uh, so, I have a big chapter in my in my new book on leadership about this to help people understand what this looks like. So, imagine when we talk about Cambridge Analytica mm-hmm. and they gathered roughly 5,000 data points on 81 million people based on Facebook likes alone. Now, imagine if you had that silo of data, which was enough to potentially influence political positions. Right? You can sell anybody anything—a refrigerator, a political position—once you have enough data. Imagine if you added to that the information about your emotional reaction to the films you're watching, which is now captured by the cameras embedded in every screen that you look at, from the cinema to your phone. What if you also had the data about your physical movement in the shopping mall? Because every time you stop to look at a counter, it's capturing that it's you. And if I have enough money, if I'm a big enough company, I can buy all those different silos of data, or if I'm a government... I can access those different silos of data and now artificial intelligence connects the dots between the silos. So now I have a huge amount of information about you and specifically you. So to the point that I've made the case that we're going to need, you know, in the past we had insider trading laws, we're going to need insider trading laws because (laughs) people will know so much, they'll have so much insight into your emotional reaction. To things, that they can sell you anything. And I would strongly recommend people look at the Chinese company called SenseTime. Mm-hmm. It's the most valuable artificial intelligence startup in the world. It's worth $4 billion now. And all, they can recognize your emotional reaction out of a crowd of 10,000 people. They can look at a screen like we're on right now, and a CEO comes on and talks about his company or her company. It can identify the microfacial movements that you are lying And set the algorithms to short your stock immediately.
1: I love that. That's
2: the world that we're in. Imagine all those data points come into kind of almost like a holographic sphere of information. We're going to learn how to navigate, how to conjure forth answers. It's literally like a crystal ball. How do you conjure forth answers from this data sphere? How do you look when you're perceived through it? Um, What knowledge can you gain to help you sell, whether you're a government, a political position, or a business, a, a, you know, a product. Mm-hmm. It is a totally different economy.
1: It's, it's just wrapping a system and a process around, like, I mean, for a long time, 20 years ago, when I was first, when I first came into the hedge fund business, we studied kinesics, you know, the study of lying, mm-hmm. the art of lying, the kind of hand signals, tips people will it's, give you. And, um, you yeah, then when I went to Carlisle, we were interviewing different FBI uh, agents in terms of interrogation processes. But these were all people heavy. So we would have to, you'd have to, first of all, you know, read all the books. Second of all, have your own opinion. It wasn't, you know, systematically imputed into some kind of a chip that could recognize uh, and scale. I mean, that, that isn't, isn't where we're at just that. We're taking a bunch of things that we knew, but we're, we're finally putting them into a scalable process a technological process that that, that, we, that we can use,
2: like everything else, mm-hmm. it's automating the judgment about humans. Yeah, and, and this is one of the problems I have with this internet-driven world that we've now entered because the internet is very good at quantifying, but it's not very good at dealing with the qualitative. Right. So we like to measure people, uh, but you know, I always think, how do you how do you put a number on Moxie? Or panache, you know, or <laughs> any of these qualities that yeah. aren't, you know, subject to a number. And if we don't, we're going to lose those qualities. It's,
1: it's it's hard to say where this all ends. Obviously, you know, it's so early. Uh, you, you already mentioned a couple of companies you could you could invest in. You know, pe- there are plenty of private companies, by the way, that people can't invest in. Uh, I know you have thoughts on that too. But wh- what do you think in the next six to twelve months will become a readily available? Um, investment idea that everybody is already applying in, in, in this regard in terms of systematically understanding and capitalizing on human behavior?
2: Oh, it's interesting. I definitely think that private is the new public, that that's where the big money is looking for the biggest returns. It's not in publicly as listed firms anymore. It's the private equity world. Yep. Uh, I think, look, it's the application of artificial intelligence to every single business okay. because it cuts costs, it increases the productivity, it allows them to do things they never did before, and it's not specific to one sector. Mm-hmm. So almost everything in the equity market will benefit from this. So I, that's another reason I'm bullish on the equity market for many reasons. I think I'm the only one left <laughs> to bullish in the equity market. Uh, but, you know, I, I still think, look, we still have $20 trillion in the system that not gone anywhere. The Fed can raise rates a few times. It's not going to make a darn bit of difference. Um, it takes a, it's like taking a cup of water out of the Atlantic Ocean. We have record level defense spending. The Chinese are spending $5 trillion on global connectivity, not just the Belt and Road Initiative, but the digital aspect of it. All of this is hugely beneficial, the equity market. And now let's just overlay that with these remarkable innovations in artificial intelligence. Frankly, and then had a little inflation which is telling people i gotta get out of cash i gotta get into something that's real so all that tells me the equity markets are generally going to benefit from the application mm-hmm. of artificial intelligence to whatever they're doing
1: Yeah, it's a much more appropriate and um, you know, broad answer to the question you're applying all these technologies to existing businesses which makes them more productive and god forbid we actually get productivity too uh, you know, there's yep. so, so many companies have seen little to no productivity for so long because they're so slow to evolve. But we are seeing the pace pick up. We're actually seeing productivity in the U.S. in particular pick up. So it is interesting.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I'm in this space. So, you know, I'm a manufacturer of commercial drones. And it's amazing. I still talk to – recently I was talking to the, the Royal Air Force Search and Rescue. I said, so, you know, are you using drones? They go, yeah, one of the guys on the team has a toy. <laughs> and we use that now and again. It's really fun. I'm like, you don't do search and rescue with industrial-strength drones yet. I mean, imagine productivity gains are going to come. We're at the bare beginning of what Goldman Sachs calls a $100 billion market in drones, and that's just one tiny little area.
1: Yeah, drones. I mean, ey, ey, ey. that's uh, – my, my kids can – from uh, from your lips to my ears, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> with four kids at home, they got drones. And uh, the, na- yeah. the neighbors know they have drones, and it makes the neighbors nervous. Uh, maybe that's the last question: How much of this you know, really makes people nervous? I mean, so many people, you know, the, the privacy is the number one, if not one of the top issues. Uh, you know, how much of the nervousness of it all could actually stall the, uh, I guess, you know, the technological transformation that we're talking about?
2: Well, I think people haven't understood the half of how much privacy they've already lost. I don't even think <laughs> any debate anymore because they, they're shocked when I tell them that their vacuum cleaner is broadcasting their movements or that their refrigerator is, vo- you know, capturing images of them. They're like, "Wait, what? I didn't know that." So, here's the bottom line: Facebook has a real issue as people understand suddenly what the privacy story is about. Because after all, if you're not paying for it then you are the product and and people don't quite get that. The next layer of this is what happens with um, the application of that intelligence to real businesses. So I think people will have a heart attack on the retail front and they'll appreciate all that on the business front, see what I mean?
1: Mm -hmm. So
2: the companies that are retail consumer facing are definitely at the beginning of an uphill battle here.
1: Yeah, that's. Uh, we're going to look forward to hearing more and more of your thoughts on that. Definitely. Uh, and, and, and your book. You know, I can't wait to, because effectively I have a funny feeling here that everything that you've just kind of grazed the surface on, you have a beautiful book that will make it all make sense to all of us, like you did with that first I Signals do. book in 2015. So.
2: I do, I do. <laughs>
1: well, well, thanks for the conversation. We, we always appreciate it. And thanks for very unique and original and accurate Thoughts? She's Pippa Mammerton. I'm Keith McCullough. You can find us uh, both on Twitter. That's where we're at. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. As a reminder, we are currently running a special promotion for new Hedgeye
0: podcast listeners. Get your first month free to any one of our investing products for brand new Hedgeye subscribers. Email Matt Moran at mmoran at hedgeye.com to get yours. That's M-M-O-R-A-N at hedgeye.com. Hedgeye Risk Management is a registered investment advisor registered with the state of Connecticut hedge Risk Management is not a broker-dealer and does not provide investment advice for individuals. This research does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. This research is presented without regard to individual investment preferences or risk parameters. It is general information and does not constitute specific investment advice. Nothing presented herein should be construed as legal or tax advice. This presentation is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye Risk Management is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individuals speaking and not necessarily those of Hedgeye and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye Risk Management's clients and subscribers. In reaching these opinions and conclusions, the individuals expressing those opinions and conclusions and their employees have relied upon research which is based upon sources considered credible and reliable within the industry. Neither hedge-eye risk management nor any individual expressing those opinions and conclusions are responsible for the validity or authenticity of the information upon which it has relied.